0: Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning in to the Revive podcast. We're excited you're here. This podcast will include our Sunday morning Sunday school class, our worship night teachings, and an occasional fun interviews. I'm excited to share with you this week's episode. Here's what I want you all to understand. Paul is writing to the church at Philippi, and he's been kind of breaking down this idea of who Jesus is. Um, and, and if y'all know Paul's story, uh, y'all know that he was a man that persecuted the church, a man that was anti-Christians. And some of y'all are real fluent with the Bible, and when I say Paul, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Some of y'all are not like Bible brats, and so y'all don't really know what's going on. And that's okay, because um, this is for everybody today. So Paul was a guy who persecuted the church. The church started right after Jesus died and resurrected. The church starts, and Paul was a guy that, that hated the church and so persecuted, and then All of a sudden, one day, he's going to persecute more of the church, and God interrupts his life and speaks to him and changes the trajectory of his life. And so a couple years later go by, and this is a long process, but Paul... Begins to say, no, no, rather than persecute the church, I now believe in this Jesus. I now believe that he, res- he rose from the dead. And, and I actually want to tell other people about it. And he goes around and he starts these little churches. He goes to different cities and just says, hey, do you guys know about Jesus? Do you know about Jesus? And starts telling them about Jesus. And after he does that, he would go and he would write letters back to those churches and says, hey, I know I've taught you these things, but here's something in writing so that it really hits home. How many of y'all, like, need to read it to really understand it? Anybody like that? Like, you need to read it to understand it. I'm kind of like that sometimes. And so he'd write this letter to the church at Philippi. That's why its book's called Philippians. And he in, the, in second the second chapter of Philippians is huge. If you've never read it, you know, it's, like, pretty cool. But it it's talking about who Jesus was and how Jesus was God, but Jesus decided to come and die um, for humanity so that we can have a relationship with God. Super cool stuff, like literally the essence of our faith. Well, he goes on to uh, chapter 3, and he's going to talk a little bit more about his resume. And we're going to read a little bit about that. Uh, and he's going to talk about why he used to be something and why he gave that up in order so that he could have Christ. Um And that's good. I think the applications for you guys today and college students, uh, I mean, you're starting your new life, starting your semester. Some of y'all are freshmen, and you're, like, literally starting. Uh, Some of y'all are senior, and it's like, I I guess I'm ending. I don't know. I I might graduate. Seniors always say this, I might graduate in May, or I might graduate in December. If you're a senior, have some confidence. You will graduate, okay? All right. You see, even the senior said, I don't know. It's not happening. (laughs) You're scaring all the freshmen, okay? All right. Philippians 3, verse 1. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is to no trouble to me, and it's safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision, who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Verse 4. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, Pharisee, as to zeal, persecutor of the church, as to righteousness and the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for His sake I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and may share His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, that by any means possible I may obtain the resurrection from the dead. That's powerful. What we see there is we see a man who says like, look, I was all of these things, and I counted them as rubbish, that I may know Christ and be found in him. I want you all to go look at uh, verse uh, verse 3. Okay, so in the first two verses, Paul sets this up and he says, hey, I need to tell y'all what I already told you. Right, like how many of y'all need to hear the same thing like a hundred times to understand what is being said? Right, like I think you're saying this, but say it one more time. That's how Paul is here. He says, I'm gonna tell you the same thing I told you earlier. And he says, this is what it looks like to be a part of the family of God. These are characteristics of someone who's in the family of God. He lists four characteristics here. Look at verse three. He says four characteristics. The first one is that they worship by the spirit of God. The second one is that they glory in Christ Jesus. Jesus. The third is they put no confidence in the flesh. And if you skip down a couple of verses, you'll see that the person who's a part of the family of God knows Christ. Okay, so there's four things, four things. Worship by the Spirit of God, the glory in Christ Jesus, no confidence in the flesh, and they know God. So let's talk a little bit about those uh, first two real quick. And I want to spend the rest of the time talking about the last two. So they worship God. Uh, by the Spirit of God. And that's the beauty of those who have given their lives to the Lord. The Spirit of God comes and lives within us. And as we begin to say that, God, you are great, and as we live our life in a way that's not centered around ourselves, you know, we do that sometimes. We live our life in a way that's centered around us. When we live in a life in a way that's not centered around us, but centered around God, that's what we—it's what they call worshiping by the Spirit of God. You're not worshiping by your own ability. You actually are surrendering that to worship in line with God. The second point here is that they glory in Christ Jesus. This goes in line with the same thought. They don't try to say, give me all of the praise, right? They don't say, I'm, I am the greatest. They say, I'm going to glory in Christ Jesus. We don't use the word glory enough outside of church, but it pretty much means that all praise and recognition are going to go to God and not me. And that instead of trying to make you remember my name, I'm going to help you remember the name of the Lord. And that's what it means to glory in Christ Jesus. then he says these last two, and these last two are worthy of our time to slow down and really consider. The last two things he says is that we put no confidence in the flesh and that we know Christ. Put no confidence in the flesh. Go back to verse four of of chapter three. I'd like to kind of break this down for you. Paul is is giving uh, the back of his baseball card, if, if you will. Like he's saying, why I'm something special. This is his LinkedIn profile, right? This is his resume, this is why you should hire me, okay? Uh, and here's what he says. He's like verse four, he says, "I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more." That's quite the statement. He says, "Look, everyone who thinks there's something, really, I actually have the credentials to back this up. Um, and he's saying, in, in the Jewish world, which we're, that's what Paul came out of, Paul came out of the Jewish world. In the Jewish world, I am of the highest honor. And he's not trying to be cocky. He's just saying, look, out of the system that I came out of, I was the one that got the most recognition. I didn't have anything else to earn. I had it all. He says, look at, how he breaks it down furthermore. He says, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel. I was a part of that tribe. I was a member of the tribe of Benjamin. I was a Hebrew. I was a Pharisee. Like, as to the law, I was a Pharisee. As the zeal, as a persecutor of the church, as the righteous, I was blameless. He's saying, I was doing all of the right things. He says, I was, an, I was circumcised. I was brought into this family. He says, I was a tribe of Benjamin. You know, that's one of the 12 tribes of Israel. Like, I belonged here. He says, I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. I was of the elite. He says that I was followed by all of the rulers of the law. I followed all the rules of the law. I was a perfectionist and I obeyed all the rules. Some of y'all are like that when you come to a stop sign, like you got to have a complete, complete, complete stop. Like y'all can't just like kind of stop. Y'all got to go to a full stop, right? We all understand like what it's like to follow all the rules a little too far, okay? Now, he said, I followed all the rules of the law. And he said, I had so much zeal that actually was apparent, um, I had so much zeal for my religion that I began to persecute other religions, He's saying, it's not like I wasn't religious. I had so much passion for my religion, so much passion for the Jewish culture, that I began to persecute other religions. Paul was something. In society, when he walked in a room, people knew his name. Like, that's how powerful he is. Everything that he had been taught said that he was not only somebody, but he was also self-righteous. Not only was he super popular and people knew him and respected him, but he also told himself that he was a good guy. I think here's a couple modern days equivalents. We're talking about things that Paul used to put his confidence in. Here's, a, here's some modern-day equivalents of things that we sometimes put our confidence in. Um, sometimes we put our confidence in rituals. He says that he was circumcised. That's more of like a ritual of the Jewish custom. We put our confidence in rituals. Well, I was baptized when I was younger, or I did something when I was a kid, and so that had a lot of power, I guess, and so I have put a lot of confidence in rituals. Or or I put a lot of confidence in my race. He says he's of the tribe of Benjamin. I put a lot of confidence in my rank, in my title, in my prestige, uh, some sort of leadership position that I had somewhere along the way. Because I had that, I was somebody. I put my confidence in tradition, in my upbringing. I was somebody. Don't you know who my dad is? Don't you know who my family is? There's upbringing. I put my confidence in my morality. I see this everywhere. That a confidence is actually based upon morality than it is based upon knowing Jesus. I put my confidence in my sincerity. That's a big thing right now. Do anything you want as long as you're true to yourself. As long as you can be sincere, you can do what you want, and that's your confidence. Another way of saying that is, like, follow your heart. He said, I used to put my confidence in my sincerity. And lastly, I used to put my confidence in my rule keeping. Some of us are playing this weird, weird, weird game where we've never met Jesus in our entire life, and we've never encountered the living and holy God, but we got all of these rules. And we think, if I can just follow these rules then I'll be good. Then I'll be good and I'll go to heaven. I'll be good and I'll be accepted in this church community. And if I can just follow more and more and maybe even write more rules, I'll be good. And we've never encountered the living God. So much of religion today is twisted, guys, where we get centered around this idea of correcting and changing your behavior. That's not religion. Like, that's not true, true religion. True religion is knowing and encountering God on the individual level. And when you encounter God, your life changes. We've placed so much emphasis on this idea of changing who you are that we've, we've de-emphasized the idea of meeting God. And if you're here right now thinking, okay, what about college? What's going to happen for me? Okay, maybe I need to do, do all these right things, create these rules. No, no, no. I'm going to say right now the first thing you need to do is meet God. like God is here in this room and wants to meet you on the individual level. Some of y'all have relationships with the Lord. Some of y'all don't. For those that don't have a relationship with the Lord, God is sitting and he's ready to meet with you. Some of y'all who do have a relationship with the Lord are either actively meeting with him and he's saying, come on, let's keep doing this. I like this. Or he's saying, hey, why don't you come back to me? Why don't you come back to me? see, we put our confidence in things rather than meeting a God. Let's go back to the text. Look at verse seven. Whatever gain I had. We're just gonna pause. Remember Paul. He walked in a room, everyone knew his name. He said something, everybody obeyed. He told a story, everybody listened. I want you to imagine that, okay? Like, let's, let's take that out. Like, let's take it out of this context and just imagine that you're a person that when you walk in a room, people listen to you. That when you start talking and other people are talking, they stop talking so they can hear you. When you tell people to do do something, they stop what they're doing and obey. People come to you for advice. They think you're important. They think you're wise. They think you are smart. They ask you to tutor them in that class that everybody's failing. Paul said, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Something happens when we begin to realize that everything that I thought was something and so, thought was important and special, when put in the proper perspective of knowing and encountering God, all of a sudden becomes a lot less attractive. Christians do this and non-Christians do this. Christians do this all the time because we know the Lord and we say we follow the Lord. But when it comes to actually living our faith and living out the things that God's asked us to do and, and meeting with him uh, and, and denying yourself and loving your neighbor and loving God, we say, those are nice ideas, but I don't want to give up these other things because I still think there's value in these other things. Paul is doing a pros and con list. I don't know if y'all caught that. The word gain is a mathematical term. He's literally doing a pros and cons list. He goes, okay, well, on this side, I've got this, but on this side, I've got this. You guys ever make those, you're trying to figure out like what to do in life? Yeah, and it's like, okay, well, if I did this, it would happen to did this. Or... That's what Paul's doing, and he's comparing. I think sometimes we do that with our faith but we don't even realize we're doing it. There's like, hey, it's go all in with Jesus, pursue Jesus with everything you have, this abundant life where you get to live in step with his Holy Spirit, you get to be a part of the mission of God, and you get to do all of these things where you have security, you have identity, you have passion, there's all of that. Or there's people think I'm special. People think I'm cool. People think I'm smart. People think I'm, if you fill in the blank with that... And you say, when I compare the two, I like this one. And that's what he's doing in this passage. He says, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of knowing Christ. He's comparing the two. And I think we have to compare the two. I think you have to compare the two. On the individual level. Some of y'all hear the things that he had. Like, he had ritual. He had rank. He had morality. He had tradition. He had prestige. He had acknowledgement. He had power. And you go, why would I ever give that up? Like, that sounds great. Let's keep that. Forget the Jesus thing. Let's do this thing. Some of y'all are in the room and y'all think that. and That's that's okay that you think that right now, because God has actually brought you to this room so we can have a conversation about that. Some of y'all think, man, that looks so attractive to me that that's what I want. And and your heart says, actually, this is what we need to do. Hold on to these things. Hold on to the idea of what you want to happen. Uh, uh, There's a phrase in there It says, put no confidence in the flesh. He talked about that earlier. Do you all remember that phrase, put no confidence in the flesh? I want to pull back because we need to talk about that a little bit. To put confidence in your flesh is a Bible way of saying You are in charge, and you do what you want to do. If you want something, you go get it. If you want to do something, you go do it. If you have a a sudden urge to do whatever, you just go do that thing. You want to change your desires based upon, like, what you think is best for you, you do it. In nature, the, the, the flesh will always take care of itself. The flesh is something that's always centered around improving you. But the flesh is always centered around improving you to the detriment of others and to the ignoring of God. The problem with that, though, is that when we're centered around the improvement of ourselves, disconnected from God, there will be no improvement in yourself. Christians do this. Non-Christians do this. Actually, I know a lot of Christians who do this. (laughs) And they say, I just need to change this bad thing I do or I just need to get a new job or I just need to switch churches or I just need to find a new friend group or I need to start this new ritual and I'll be fine. What you need is you need to meet with God, a living and active holy God who wants to meet with you. And non-Christians do us all the time. We say, man, I think I just want to run in my lane and maybe add a little Jesus on the side, come to church on a Sunday. And that's okay if if you're in here and you're thinking like that. I just want to tell you, that there is depth to a life of God that you aren't even realizing right now. There's some problems, though. There's some problems when we try to live a life in our flesh. When we try to live a life centered around our wants and desires, there's some problems. We all face this. When we're trying to be in charge of our life, we are saying, I want to be God in my life. None of y'all would stand up and say, I want to be God in my life, but we would say it in here. We would say, I want to be in charge. Here's some problems you're going to struggle with. You're going to struggle with purpose and identity. If you're trying to be in charge of your life, you're going to struggle with purpose and identity. Paul says that that whatever he thought was gained, he counted as lost so they may know Christ. And there's this cool phrase, and it says, and to be found in him. He found worth and value when he gave up what he thought was special and met. Like, that's crazy. Well, what do you hear, though? The way that you find purpose and identity is to look deeper within you. Look deeper within your soul. Search yourself, and you'll find your own meaning in life. And that's a lie. That's a straight-up lie. Because meaning is always connected to God. God was our creator. And so if creation wants to learn what the meaning of life is, I have to go to the creator. And so any search to understand purpose and identity will leave you Longing, feeling like there's always more. There's always something else. There's something new to try. It's the book of Ecclesiastes. I'm always trying something over and over and over again, searching for purpose. A life that's centered around itself, you'll struggle with a couple other things. And come other things you'll struggle with, you'll struggle with relationships, friendship, community. You'll struggle with that. Why? Because how many of y'all like that friend that always talks about themselves? I know y'all like the friends that never checks in on you. What we're doing is when we're training our soul to care for ourselves above all else, we're not caring for the people around us. And we're not living out the two greatest things that God's asked us to do love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. You cannot love your neighbor and love yourself above all else. You actually might be blind to the fact that you're. Um, Loving yourself because you might say, Oh, I love others, I care for others. I'm a two on the Enneagram. Some of y'all might say that. <laughs> but your love for others is actually selfishly motivated so that you can feel good about yourself. If because it all comes back to self. Because if you're cared about yourself, you're still valuing these things. And Paul says, Look, man, whatever gain you thought you had, it's rubbish. Did y'all catch that word earlier? He said, whatever gain I thought I had, I count it now as rubbish. That's a really interesting word. None of us ever use that word, rubbish. I think they do in Europe. They call they call things rubbish, right? Like, <laughs> But like, we don't ever use the word rubbish. Can I tell you what it actually means when you translate it? Dog poop. Whatever I thought was important when I realized the surpassing worth of knowing Christ, all these other things, had, they're rubbish. They had no value. What I love most about this is that Paul's not saying, hey, you need to memorize new facts about God and learn new intellectual knowledge. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, I met God. I met God. God, he changed my life. And actually from having an interaction with God, my whole life's perspective has got reordered. And now the things that I thought were important aren't important, they're rubbish. Some of us need to hear that, Christians and non-Christians alike. Christians, you need to hear that because you might be valuing some things that are rubbish. And we all do it. We all do it. There are times in our life that we value the wrong things where we are convinced things are important, that they're just not important. And someone's got to like slap you in the face and say, get out of it. (laughs) What are you doing? You're valuing the wrong things. The non-Christians in the room, you're you're playing this game where you're still on that pros and cons checklist with Jesus and religion and church and all these things. And let me just tell you this, we're not saying, man, if you can just change your life and start doing better things, you'll be all right. You're saying, I'm saying, man, look, you think there's value in what you got going on right now. You think there's a lot of value in what you have. And I'm saying, that's okay. I'm just letting you know, though, when you meet God, that's going to change. When you meet God, that's going to change. But if you live a life centered around yourself... You're going to struggle in relationships. You're going to struggle in purpose. You're also going to struggle with this phrase called eternal life. Now, look, when we hear the word eternal life, we think about two things, heaven and hell. But what if I told you the phrase eternal life has actually more to do with the type of life than the duration of life? The phrase eternal life has more to do with the type of life that you're going to live, not whether or not you're going to live forever. You see, the eternal life can be lived out now in 2022. Because an eternal life says, I want to be about the things of God. And I want to live my life as a part of the things of God. Uh, there's two passages here I kind of want to show you guys. So if you go down to verse 14 of Philippians 3, uh, you're going to read this phrase. Paul's talking, and I could preach a whole other sermon on this, but he says, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I want to look at that phrase, upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I mean, all that means is that Your life can have a greater purpose than just like you getting a degree and you getting some job so that you can make six figures or getting a job so that you can do what you think you need to do. Your life can have a purpose that's centered around the upward call of God in Christ. Your life can be centered around the mission of God. I've got really good news. We have an active God that doesn't live in the clouds but actually is moving. And is and is doing stuff, and he has a mission. And when you hear the word mission, is that passive or active? It's active. God is on mission. And, and if you were to go to a verse in Ephesians, we're not going to go there because for sake of time, but if you were to go to a verse in Ephesians, you would read, read this phrase that God's mission is to unite all things back to him on heaven and on earth. God is going to unite all things back to him. So his mission is to bring humanity back into relationship with God. That's Garden of Eden. They walked in relationship with God. Man and God walked together in the garden. That's the mission of God. And so if you want to be a part of the upward call of God, if you want to be a part of eternal life, if you want to be a part of having purpose, you can join in with the mission of God. It's kind of like when two dudes come together and one of them has a really bad idea one of them has a really great idea, they say, actually, forget your idea. Let's do what you said. That's kind of how it's life when we show up with God. We say, hey, God, here's what I want to do with my life. He's like, okay, how about this? And then it's the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And you said, oh, yeah, that, that's, a, that's a lot better idea. We should do that. It's like showing up for lunch. It's like, what are you going to have? I was like, I got a ham and turkey. And the guy's like, well, I made a ribeye. And you're like, well, wait, let's, let's eat that. <laughs> I think God has something crazy for your life if you just. And the, I'll just oh. There was this thought that hit me this week we have this dream of what college has to look like for us. Some of y'all are going into college and y'all got a lot of dreams with a little bit of fear and a lot of dreams. Some of y'all are seniors about to graduate and you say, man, that didn't happen at all. Or some of y'all are saying, you're, you're, you're a junior and you're like, okay, I'm gonna make it happen this year. This is what my dream is. And I just wanna know like, man, what if God says, hey, would you take that dream And when you lay it down before me and say, okay, everything that I thought was important, I'm going to give up so that I can know you. It's crazy. When you do that, things, like the comparison thing is easy. Like, when I met my wife, it was easy to not talk to other women. Easy. Because surpassing worth. What I thought was important, didn't care. Surpassing worth. God might be saying the same thing to you. Can you take this dream of what you think college has to be and what it has to look like and you lay it at his feet? I mean, if you don't know the Lord today, if you don't have a relationship with God, the first thing you do is talk to him and say, God, I think I want to have a relationship with you. What does that look like? I start a conversation with someone. Y'all all met new people today, most people. Some of you introverts were really successful and not, but most of y'all met someone new today. When you meet someone, you just talk to them, right? Well, guess what? If you don't have a relationship with God, you're meeting God, and you just talk to him, and just pour your heart out. Start talking to him. You see, you want to believe in Jesus because he wants to forgive you. He wants to his death allowed you to have a relationship with God. We're not talking about get your life together and start doing all these things. I'm talking about come as you are with your baggage and your weirdness and your uniqueness. Come as you are and meet God and your life will be changed. If that's how you're approaching it, you'll recognize surpassing worth. And so I just kind of get stuck in knowing that. What, what will be important to you this semester? What will be important to you this semester? Some of y'all are going to say something like, well, I just got to get A's in my classes. Some of y'all will say something like, really, just if people will like me. Some of y'all say like, what's important to me? Like, I want to make some friends. Some of y'all are like, my side hustle job, I'm going to make a ton of money. You ain't, but, (laughs) okay. Like what's important to me, like whatever, insert goal here, right? And some of us are goal-driven people, some of us are relationship-driven people, but what's important to you, and I want you to compare that to meeting with God. Like what is the most important thing you'll give yourself to this semester? And I believe God has sent you here on purpose and for a purpose on this campus. Okay, and that purpose is a lot bigger than getting your degree. You should study hard. You should pay attention. You should make friends. You should have fun. You should do crazy stuff. But you should meet God. Because all those other things will will lack any value, worth, and purpose if they're not connected to meeting God. And so that's my prayer for you guys today, guys. Uh, This this semester, we're going to talk about the book of Acts. We're going to talk about how the church started. And what did it look like for them? And we'll start that next week. But right now, where you're at, what matters to you this semester? Because let me tell you, if you don't realize what matters to you and then live that way, you'll get to December and go, oh, I guess this semester's over. I didn't really do anything. You'll get to the end of your time at SFA and go, man, did I live intentionally here at all? Was there any purpose to what I was about? And I'm just saying try this thing where you meet God. Try the thing where you meet God. Even if you don't believe in Jesus, give it a shot. Say a prayer. See what happens. If you already love Jesus, meet with God. There's nothing more refreshing for your soul. There's nothing that will bring life into your lungs. There's nothing that will point you in the direction that you ought to go. There's nothing that will bring peace to your wearied mind. Some of y'all are gonna get stressed out this week on syllabus week. Okay? I know y'all get stressed about syllabus week. You ain't got no homework, but whatever. All right. There's nothing that will bring peace to your life like meeting God. Meeting God. That is what will happen. That is what will work. Because he loves you. All right. Well, I better, I'm gonna close down before I preach in another hour. So uh, let's pray. God, I just pray that we, for those in the room who are doing the comparison of like what's more important, that that when we meet you, it becomes incredibly evident that you are so much more valuable. And God, I just want to say on behalf of myself, I'm sorry for the times that I've valued things that aren't nearly as important as you. God, we want to be about you. We want to know you. God, for those in the room who don't know you, I just pray that they are incredibly aware of your presence and your pursuit of their heart, and that they know that there's some God out there who wants to have a relationship with me. And his name is Jesus, and he died so that he could have a relationship with me. And he's willing to let me come to him with my baggage and all of my weird whatever. And so, God, I just pray they're aware that you want to, that you want a relationship with them. God, we love you. God, I pray that we have fun. I pray that when we sing, our hearts are just focused on you, God. God, I'm grateful for the food we're going to have after service. I'm already thinking about it. In your name we pray, amen. Amen. Y'all give it up for Gracie.
1: Well, hey guys. Happy Lumberjack Sunday. So glad that y'all are here today. Uh, my name is Gracie. I am one of the other college armor bearers. Um, and I'm just really happy to welcome y'all to Ferdonia Hill and to our college ministry. Um, this place has become a very special place to me. Um, these people are my family. I've been able to grow just in my relationship with the Lord tremendously here. So I hope that y'all can find the same um, while y'all y'all are here um, so I have a couple of announcements for you guys John mentioned lunch so we have lunch after service today that'll be in the gym um, just walk with the sea of college people um, <laughs> if you want if you want lunch um, clay and I we made some really great mac and cheese so um, and if it's off if it's awful don't tell us um, but we're Just kidding. That's for the pool party, but that's also tonight. Yeah. Um, But anyway, yeah. So we also are having a pool party tonight at 6 um, o'clock at the Cooey's. So Reese had mentioned that. You can find the directions on our Instagram. Um, So if you go to Revive SFA, you can um, go to the link tree. Uh, The directions should be in that. And while I'm at it, go ahead and follow our Instagram, too. You can find all of our um, Welcome Week events on there. Um, And then lastly, um, over here, we have college group signups. So college groups, woo, yeah, college groups are our multi-generational host homes where we go. um, It's on Monday, Tuesdays, and Thursdays, um, and it's just a time that we get to Um, Go together um, as, like, college students, get to fellowship together, learn about or talk about um, the message that was preached on Sunday, um, and just get to enjoy one another. So if you're interested in signing up, you can make your way over there to the laptops. Um, Yeah, but y'all are dismissed.